On the virtual Bible study tonight, we're going to talk about our giving. Yeah, probably not a real popular topic. I think people usually don't like to think about or talk about giving, but it's certainly a Bible topic, and uh, we need to discuss it. I think people are turned off about giving because the TV evangelists and everybody else always begging for money. But it is biblical, and it's a necessity for Christians, and we want to see what the Scriptures say about it. We're not begging for money tonight, though. No. We're just talking about the Bible. We're not soliciting contributions, and we don't want any. But we want to talk about that, and we'll look forward to it. We're going to start right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we're on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, April 26, 2018. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you. Kyle's here behind the board tonight. Kyle, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's always good to be here. All right. I sort of feel like we need a nickname for the board operator. You know, it just... It's not snazzy enough to just be Kyle behind the board. One something. of the one of the talk show guys calls the calls him Mr. Producer. Mr. Producer. Okay, well, we that's it. Mr. Producer. All right. Well, we want to hear from you at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. If you're watching us live tonight. Uh, sign in the chat room and chat with other listeners. We would love to hear from you as we talk about giving on the virtual Bible study. All right. Uh, to the update list earlier today, we sent out our. A topic and our, some questions for consideration. We've got a little bit of feedback. We're looking for more. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com or get in the chat room and talk with us and talk with other listeners as we go through these topics tonight. But we want to talk about two principal passages that give us the bulk of our information about giving. There's lots, there's many passages we go to when we talk about principles that should affect our giving, but two stick out. One is 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, and the other is 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 7. We'll talk about both of those, and we ask our listeners to give us some observations. What do you take away from those two passages that would dictate how we should give and so forth? Then we ask some questions that I find come up pretty often, just general questions about giving. One has to do with tithing. What about tithing? What is it? Uh, are we expected to do it? Is there anything we can learn from the practice of tithing? And number two, should Christians determine the amount of their giving based upon their gross pay or upon their net pay? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about that. Okay. People have differing ideas about that. It's worth yeah. discussing. Number three, if a person receives pay only once per month or once every two weeks, etc., should they give only on the, those weeks when they receive pay or should they give some each week? Another yeah. Another question that comes up. Some judgment involved in that. We want to see what people think about that. Okay. And then number four, since the instructions of 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 were given to deal with a specific problem, and, and the specific problem involved needy saints at Jerusalem, okay. is it right to use that passage as authority for our giving today? 
And that's a question that's come up more recently. I hear people asking that, or, or some are suggesting we don't have authority for weekly contributions uh, unless there is a specific need like that one in 1 Corinthians 16. We'll talk about it. All right. Uh, we want to hear from you again, 877-381-4567. You asked for just sort of a general commentary there on uh, yeah. those verses. L- l- let's, l- let me read these two texts, uh, and I think all of our listeners will recognize them, probably know them nearly by heart themselves. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And then Second Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Okay. So... Uh, as I said, I, we, we, when we're talking about giving, when we preach sermons or have Bible classes about giving, there are other passages that we go to to talk about our attitude of heart and so forth that should regulate our giving. But these passages give some real specifics about what we do. All right. The first one that I would point out is that this is a duty for all Christians. Right. Because 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2 says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. Yes. And so I think there's a possibility that some might say, Well, I'm um, I'm not near as rich as a lot of other people in the church, and therefore I'm going to leave that up to them. They, they've got a lot more than I do. They can give. I, I don't have a lot to give. I, I need most of the money I have for the things I have to do with my money. And so I'm just going to exempt myself from that and let the rich people in the church take care of it. That passage would say that's that's not a, a reasonable idea. Certainly, um, certainly there may not be there may be some folks who couldn't give because they weren't prospered, but um, those who've been prospered certainly need to be giving. Well, uh, let every one of you lay by and store as God hath prospered him. If if I have absolutely zero prosperity, then that would indicate that I'm, I, if I don't have anything to give, I obviously can't give. But I, I'm of the opinion that all of us have a lot more than we certainly, than we certainly. give credit for. And it needs to be the first fruits, and that sort of goes on with the, the next point that you want to make. But um, it needs to be it needs to be the first fruits of in the Old Testament at least it was, and it seems reasonable that in the New Testament that would be the same. It's not after I take care of all of the physical things that I may want or need even, uh, that it's the first fruit. Yeah. If I make $100 a week and and my grocery bill is typically 75 and then I've got utilities and so forth, and, and I have almost zero spare dollars at the end uh, when, when I budget out the money that I have to spend, I think the principle here would suggest, and as you said, the first fruit's, even in a year when the Jews maybe didn't make a great big crop, they, there was no exemption for first fruits. They still gave of their first fruits. So instead of spending $75 on groceries this week, maybe I cut that back a little so that I can give. That I, And I, I've always been of the opinion that when we write out our weekly or monthly budget, this matter of giving ought to be the top line on the budget list instead of, 
do it all, and when you get down to the bottom, see what's left over. I think there probably are some scriptural principles about that, that if we will do that, God will provide for our needs. He, I, I don't know that I've ever met anyone who said, you know what, I went bankrupt because I was giving to God more than I should have been I, I'm confident I've never, in all the years I've been around Christians, I've never known anyone who said, you know, I wouldn't have had declared bankruptcy if I hadn't been given so much to the church. Uh, I wouldn't be in this, yeah, I wouldn't be in this predicament. i tell you what, what got me here, that Sunday morning collection, boy, that's what really broke the camel's back. I was trying to think of a, uh, uh, a well-known passage where David talked about. Uh, yeah. I just read that, uh, Psalm uh, 31. Is it? I can't find it. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I can give you. I can. The computer knows. I'm trying uh, to find. Okay. All right. But uh, it's. Uh, I've been old and, and uh, young, and now I'm old, and I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. Yeah. Uh, uh, is the. Uh, I'll find it here. Just yeah. a second. Uh, okay. Yeah. Psalm 37:25. I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. Which just is a is a comforting promise about God, how God blesses His people. Now we we would want to be careful not to suggest the the health and wealth kind of approach that that the denominational people do. But there still is a promise there, that that a comforting promise. That well, listen to you reference Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses seven and eight, or verse uh, six and. Seven. It goes on in verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As is written, He that uh, He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower both ministereth bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase your fruits of your righteousness, uh, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth uh, through us thanksgiving to God. I believe that there's there's some principle there that God will bless us if we're giving as we should. Yeah. Now it's not we're not doing it for covetous purposes. Yeah, and it's, and and certainly the some of God's most faithful people have lived pretty. Uh, um, yes. What do I want to say? Their lives have not been abundant in material things, but still. There's there's a promise here. I'm looking at Philippians 4. Paul says, I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Now, the context of that then would be that Paul's physical needs had been supplied by the things they sent through the hand of Epaphroditus. He goes on to say, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I think he's still talking about physical things there when he says God's going to supply their needs. Uh, now, needs and wants, or there's a, Two different a things. big discrepancy. Back in the Old Testament, we talked about first fruits. Here's a couple of verses. Malachi chapter 3, uh, verse 10. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out pour you out a blessing, and there shall not be room enough to receive it. Yeah. They were told in the Old Testament, you do what I tell you to do, and you will have what you need. It's a promise from God. Yeah. And I think we see something similar in the New Testament, the passages we've looked at. 
Yeah. And again, I want to be real careful because we're not saying we're not saying what the health and wealth. We're not we're not preaching Joel Olstein doctrine right. here. Uh I one time I was uh, watching a late night TV evangelist and and it was it, if it wasn't so sad it was just downright comical. He's saying, "Now we can only make this offer for a limited time, but if you will send us if you'll send us $100, God will restore you a thousand. If you'll send us a thousand, you'll get back ten thousand. Did God tell him how many callers they were supposed to lose? The first guess fifty callers, it, or? I guess because he said it was a limited time okay, offer. Yeah. You know that that if if that were the case, then the thing to do would be get all your money, mortgage your house, get your hands on every bit of cash you could get, and give it. And get ten times as much back. You don't find investment opportunities like that very often. That's just ridiculous, obviously. And the scriptures don't promise that sort of thing. No, but this. I, and one of the blessings, perhaps, is that when we do this in perspective, and it does reset maybe our needs and our wants. We start to realize that I don't really need all those things that I wanted. Yeah. Um, another one from the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with thy, the first fruits of thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Again, we're not doing this for covetous reasons, but there are blessings involved in serving God and, and submitting to his will, and those and I, may and think, include physical and provision I'm, for I our I think needs. the main thing is like what you're saying. You're, God, you're not going to suffer for having given generously to God's work. Uh, I think God is going to bless us when we do. We may go through physical and, and financial hardship, but the fact of the matter is that there's there's a comforting promise of God that he Certainly. cares for his own when okay. they do his will. All right. Let us know your thoughts in the chat room. Uh, let's should we get a break. Yeah, let's grab a break, and we'll come back and talk some more about principles of our giving. All right. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give a man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. What on earth are you doing about heaven? Service is love in work clothes. The ones who pull the oars don't have time to rock the boat. An expert fault finder has no reason to be proud of his accomplishments. When you help someone up a hill, you find yourself closer to the top. Some people can't add, but they can definitely distract. Man, wish I'd said that. Now that you've had your break, it's back to the program. And we're back on the program, and we're talking about giving. 877-381-4567. You don't have to give a dime for that call. It's toll free. And uh, the line's open. We want to hear from you. All right, so we said to everybody, this is an instruction to all, let every one of you lay by him in stores, God has prospered him. It's, it's to be uh, a planned thing. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia says, we must plan or purpose our giving. 
that's a principle that's important for us to consider. Yeah. Uh, this is not the kind of thing where, so I'm sitting in the services on Sunday morning and they start to pass the collection plate and I, I quickly pull out my wallet and see how much I've got in there to see how much Luke can throw in the basket as it goes by. That's obviously not plain purpose. There's, there's a purposing or a planning or, uh, that goes into this. And I really think that probably a lot of times as Christians, this is a thing that's overlooked. This would go to the question of our weekly or monthly budget. This needs to be a budget line item, and it needs to be, as I said, I really believe it needs to be the first line on the on the budget, not something down at the bottom. And so, here's what I anticipate to make this week or this month, and I want to, and and so I got a lot of things to do with this money. I got some fixed expenses. I got some things I'd like to do, some things I want to buy. But before I do any of that, I'm going to I'm going to put a number up here on the on the top line, uh, and we'll talk about how much that should be in a little bit. But but it needs to be a plan. It needs to be. Uh, well, you mentioned a fixed expense. That definitely is a fixed expense in my book. Yeah. That you, you you're gonna you're gonna keep the lights on, but you're also gonna pay. I mean, that's that you don't you don't get to the end of the month and say, you know what, I just don't have enough money. I'm not gonna pay the light bill. Or I'm, we're not, we're just, we're not, we're not paying the mortgage this month. Yeah. But we, because we, there were some other things that we wanted to do. Right. Maybe some people do that. Most apparently, people, apparently there's some people who yeah. do that because they do, they do, they do foreclose on mortgages. Yes. But, but I mean, typically Most, you wouldn't say, I'm just not going to do that this month because I've done these other things and, yeah. and there's no money left for the mortgage. You would put the mortgage up high. In other words, so I want to go on vacation and I've got a mortgage to pay. Well, I'm going to pay that mortgage first, and then, then if I can, I'll go on vacation yeah, because right. this is a necessity. This yeah. is, and so I plan for this necessity before I do optional things. Right. And we're saying that this, in the purpose and planning department, needs to be up there uh, among those things that get taken care of first. Right. All right. Guys, no thoughts. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm trying to see here. Uh, Kent's got several comments on these verses. Uh, uh, he he mentions that that our giving should be generous. Those who sow sparingly shall reap sparingly. Those who sow bountifully shall reap bountifully. And we are to plan or purpose our giving. Um, so I, I think uh, I, that, that's a pretty straightforward statement. I don't think anybody's challenged to figure that one out. And he also goes on and says our giving must be upon our free will. That is, we must give cheerfully, not in a grudging sort of way. Yeah. I think that's very important, too. Uh, let's catch this next phrase. Again, backing up to 1 Corinthians 16, 2. As God hath prospered him. Let every one of you lay by him store as God hath prospered him. Uh, so, um, I made $100 this week. I want to give of that. Next week, I had a really good week next week. Next week, I made $1,000. Am I going to give the same thing that I gave? In other words, on uh, so on the hundred dollar week I gave five dollars or ten dollars. On the thousand dollar week I gave five dollars or ten dollars. That's not proportionate. That's not as God has prospered me. When I'm prospered more, obviously I'm going to give more. Right. Right. And um, that's something that uh, well, it, it sometimes it's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. We've uh, been doing that with our kids. They get a little measly allowance, and they want to put some of that in. Well, 
one of them had a windfall here lately, and uh, we were talking about the proportionate thing, and it, it was a little bit painful. A little harder, It was yeah. a lesson to learn. Um, hopefully it was, I don't know if it was done cheerfully or not, but as adults, <laughs> we need to make sure that we have that uh, that cheerful ad- outlook on the proportionate. Yeah. We ought to be giving abundantly. Yeah. And, I, again, it, 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 it's my thinking that this is an area that Christians feel challenged about, and and. We could talk about what's the heart problem behind not wanting to. In other words, if I have that big prosperous week or that windfall of income, if I'm not if I'm not wanting to give of it or give proportionately to my now increased income, what is the attitude of heart that keeps me from wanting to give that way? I, that's that's something to think about. If I don't want to, what's wrong with me? Certainly. Uh, but it, well, it's it's what, what's wrong is you, you're not uh, you're not following God's command for yeah. one. But I, uh, I would think it's a heart problem too. When you, oh yeah, maybe like, dare dare we use the word covetousness? Could uh, be that the reason I don't want to give more is because then that's going to make it harder for me to do the things I want to do. That's right. All right. You know, when we stop and think about it. Be, uh, in reality, I think that most people in our day and time do not see themselves as really rich people. In, in an average congregation, if you ask the people, I don't think there'd be anybody in most average congregations that would, if you said, are you among the world's really rich people? I don't think there would be very anybody that would raise their hand. But if we were to stop and analyze it, we really are. We're among the richest people who've ever lived in the history of time. Um, and I think I've talked about this before on the virtual Bible study, but I'm, sometimes I'm just, I just sort of sit in awe when I stop to think about the fact that I have at my house things that King Solomon didn't have in his palace. King Solomon, probably the richest man who ever lived in the history of time, but he didn't have hot and cold running water. He didn't have a flush toilet. He didn't have a microwave oven. You know, uh, he didn't have a telephone. All, all, all the things that we just take for granted, that's prosperity. That's abundant prosperity. We really are rich people. And you think about in the Old Testament, they were told to give a tenth of the, and the first of what they had gotten. And they were to sacrifice those those good, that good livestock and the first of it. And certainly they were in a scenario, and that was their livelihood. You know, you, you brought up the book of Malachi a little while ago. And, and in Malachi, there was a problem. And it was this kind of problem we're talking about. They didn't want to give of what they had. And so they were trying to sort of get around it. And, and so they were, instead of giving their, their, their first fruits or their firstborn, their, their prized animals, uh, they were given the sick and the lame and the offcast. And the Lord, through the prophet Malachi, basically said, try giving that to your governor. See if he would accept it. Yeah. And, and the answer was, obviously, he wouldn't. And why would you expect me to accept that? You know, that might be what we think. So we just went through tax filing season. Uh, I just, I, this is what I'm supposed to, this is what the the rules would suggest I'm supposed to pay on my tax. But I'm just not going to do that. That's too much. And if I give that much, then I won't get to do the things I want to do. I'm not going to pay that. How, how do you think that fly with the governor, uh, the president, the IRS? It wouldn't fly. But somehow or another, we want to think that God would accept that kind of off-thinking on our part. All right, 877-381-4567. want to hear from you tonight on the program. Um, go ahead. So we've talked about make it. It's to be personal, every one of you. 
is to be planned uh, as you purpose in your heart, is to be proportionate as you have been prospered. Wait a minute. I'm seeing one of these preacher things going here. This it's all starts peace. with P. Yeah. All right. It's to be with a right perspective, Yeah. not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. The perspective on it ought to be that we're glad that we're able to do so. Uh, yes. You know, when the, uh, the apostles were called before the Jewish council, the same council that had called for the crucifixion of Jesus and forced that to happen, uh, the apostles were called, uh, threatened, warned to stop preaching about Jesus. They kept on. They were called back. And uh, it says when they had beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That's uh, Acts 5, verses 40 through 42. They, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. We ought to rejoice that we are blessed and able to give to the Lord's work. Uh, and certainly it shouldn't be a thing that we begrudge. No, uh, no, certainly. Uh, God loves a cheerful giver, so not only can we not grudge it, we ought to be happy that we have the opportunity uh, to give. Uh, and certainly uh, that's, a, that's a perspective maybe that is difficult at times. Yeah. Uh, and then there's just one more point uh, uh, that we make from these two verses. Again, the two passages that we're emphasizing, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, 2 Corinthians 9, verses seven and, er, uh, 6 and 7, rather. And the last thing is that this is something we do on a regular basis. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. So this is something that we do on the first day of the week. It, and we've made this point before, I know, but it's interesting that the people who argue about taking the Lord's Supper every first day of the week don't have any problem applying this verse to mean take up a collection every first day of the week. They, they argue with us that Acts 20, verse 7 doesn't mean every first day of the week. But when it gets to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, they're glad to agree that laying by upon the first day of the week would suggest something you do every week. This is something you do every week. All right, yes. Certainly it uh, is uh, easily understood uh, that this should be a regular thing. One of the uh, one of the things that question that sometimes comes up is were they giving into a treasury? In other words, were they giving into a common fund, or were they just notice uh, lay by in store? Let every one of you lay by in store. Well, maybe I just, I take this money and I just keep it in a sock in my drawer. Mm-hmm. That's and some there has been some arguments against a common treasury of the local congregation but actually this passage is teaching that um, the passage goes on that there be no gatherings when i come no this was held in common their their weekly contributions were held in common if they weren't then there would have had to been a gathering when paul showed up in corinth right and so there was a common treasury and they were giving into a common treasury this wasn't just something well i'm going to set this aside at home this is god's money but i'm gonna keep it in my sock drawer at home that was not the case. Uh, and that's along the lines of what Kent says. Kent says that Christians are to give into a common collection. The collection is to be placed into a treasury. So uh, he agrees with your interpretation there, First yeah. Corinthians 16. Yeah. Um, 
Now, we're going to talk about it, and one of the questions we want to deal with in the second half of our program is that was that was a specific need situation. Now, Paul was going among the churches. He was uh, on his last missionary journey, and he was going through the churches, and he was taking up contributions uh, to carry to the needy saints in Jerusalem. Uh, and and so the, the question is, if there weren't needy saints, if there wasn't a specific need situation, could we use that passage to justify uh taking up weekly collections and and i want to address that because i've heard people who say you know that we should only take up collections when we know of a specific need uh to be met let's talk about that on the other side all right let's take a break we'll get to that on the other side Uh, we'll get your comments uh the chat room is not well they're not giving anything in the chat room tonight come on guys be generous in the chat room yeah generous liberal with your comments tonight in the chat room and they won't cost you a thing 877-381-4567 the verse bible study continues right after this wow it isn't so hard to understand the bible after all there's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages this is greg gwen with this week's bullet point Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of David Dieselkamp. Ever notice that you can say no a thousand times, but all those no's are canceled by one yes? No, you can't have a cookie. Can't have a cookie. Can't have a cookie. Okay, yes. The cookie will be eaten. To concede and fail, you don't have to say yes as many times as you must say no to remain steadfast and succeed. A thousand no's to fornication are deleted by one yes that robs one of his virtue and virginity. A thousand no's to adultery are swept away by a yes that destroys family, home, and soul. A thousand no's to drugs are erased by a yes that opens the door to all kinds of destruction and excess. A thousand no's to stealing are forgotten by a yes on our record when we stand before the law. A thousand no's to pornography are overwhelmed by a yes that writes indelible images in the mind. It applies across the board to all sin. While it is certainly true that forgiveness in Christ is available for any sinful yes decision we make, this must not be seen as license to make that errant decision even once. We are called to completely die to sin in Romans chapter 6. It is to have no part in us or us in it. Parents often tire of the may I have a cookie question and finally concede with a yes. Kids know this. Satan knows this too. We tire of saying no. We don't want to look different from others. We tire of our no answer causing abstinence from activities that appear pleasurable and fun. We tire of always being the one to say no. In time, sin nags us to the point where we finally want to say, okay, yes, just this time. How much more can God expect us to resist? How many more times must we say no? The Hebrew writer reminds us, quote, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin, Hebrews 12, verse 4. We're not just talking about saying no to the point of alienation and missing out on some of life's pleasures. Resisting to bloodshed, striving against sin, means saying no to sin until it kills us. That means a thousand times no to the sin that tempts us from within and from without. And when we have said no a thousand times, it is then time to say a thousand and one times and more. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. While you're there, find out where we meet and when we meet and come and worship with us. We'd love for you to join us. We're talking about giving on the virtual Bible study tonight. 
we have looked at a lot of uh, characteristics that need to we need to possess in our giving. Um, we need to be cheerful in our giving. You mentioned yeah, yeah. Um, Deuteronomy chapter twenty six talks about that and talks about the Israelites if they were to give their tithes. But it will help us to have a cheerful outlook if we can take the same kind of thoughts that they were to take. They were to take the first fruit of their of their of their uh, crops and their and their increase, and they're to bring it to the priest in Deuteronomy chapter twenty six. And they're supposed to they were to say in their heart, or they should speak and say before the Lord, Lord thy God, verse five. A Syrian ready to perish with my father. He went down to Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became a nation, uh, a great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us a hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and labor, on our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with a great and terribleness, with signs, with wonders, and have brought us into this place and have given us this land, even a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God and worship the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given thee, and into thy house, and to the Levite, and to the stranger that is among you. The, the Israelites, they were giving the first fruit of their of their harvest, of their increase. But in doing that, it wasn't to be a grudging thing. This is 10% of all that hard work. This is 10% of those crops I could have been enjoying. Instead, they were to look and say, this is just 10% of look, all you know, the blessings that God yeah. has given us. And, when I was, in, we were in such terrible shape to begin with, and God's blessed us so it was abundantly. A manif- it, was to, it was a manifestation of gratitude when done right. properly. Right, and that should be ours, not grudgingly. We shouldn't be, oh, I've got to give this to God. We should be, God, is, God gave me th- this increase this week, and I'm so happy that he's done that, and I'm so happy that I can have the opportunity to give him some of that back. Yeah. So... I had one other thing to think about before we go to some of these additional questions, but what happens if we don't follow these principles? Well, you just mentioned one. It shows that we're uh, ungrateful. Unthankful and ungrateful, uh, yeah. Secondly, it causes the Lord's work to suffer. If 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 my part in contributing as I should, if if I let down, then just to that extent, there's less that can be done mm-hmm. in spreading the gospel and so forth. Okay. So the Lord's work suffers. I'm putting a bigger burden on others. If I forsake my responsibility, the work must go on. And so others, are, I'm putting. I'm saying I'm not going to give. You do it. You take care of that. I'm putting a bigger burden on others. And then I just think bottom line is we're we're, we're disobeying God, and there's a there, sin separates us from God. Uh, right. Certainly, there are some very serious consequences from failing to heed these instructions. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeview.com. Nicole has heard our call for. She's broken the silence in the chat room. Yes, thank you, Nicole. When what uh, what qualifies a needy saint to receive help from their local church, or when does one qualify, I guess, to receive help from their local church? I think that's a real uh, judgment call, and I think the judgment. She asked if there's no elders or deacons, who makes the decision to help a needy saint? Well, it would have to be a, a, a collective decision of those in the congregation. Uh, ideally, you would have elders, and, and and the deacons would help in such matters uh, to make. But there's all, it's always a judgment call. Uh, so. And I think we just have to use our, our best judgment. Uh, certainly, circumstances will vary from case to case. 
if someone doesn't have the very basic necessities of life, in other words, they don't even have food to eat or clothes to wear, then that's a pretty simple call. Maybe it gets harder if, uh, you know, they've got a 15-year-old car and they want a 10-year-old car. Well, maybe that's not to have a hand in. Uh, So I just think some judgment will have to be uh, applied there. All right. Uh, Thank you, Nicole, for that uh, comment tonight. Um, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. You asked some now some probing questions. Well, we asked the about first question. Our, our giving now. First question we asked was about tithing. What is it? And you've already spilled the beans on that. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, tithing was the giving of 10% of, of what the Israelites gained. They were instructed to give 10%. Uh, Kent answered the question. He said, Tithing is giving of 10% of one's income. Are we. Ex- oh, yes. Well, the follow up was, Are we expected to do that? And Kent says, Not necessarily. The concept of tithing was instituted in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 indicates that we are to give as we've prospered. If one concludes that they have been prospered to the extent they can give 10%, they ought to give that amount. However, it is also possible that one's prosperity enables them to give above, above 10%. If one has the ability to give above and beyond 10%, and they only give 10%, they are not giving as they have been prospered. There are individuals who give less than 10% and are giving to the best of their ability. When such is the case, they are following the New Testament pattern of giving. I find it interesting that the New Testament does not indicate a specific percentage, but rather the principles of generosity, sacrifice, and ability constitutes the determining factor in acceptable giving. Second Corinthians 8. Uh, 11. Uh, you talk about the Macedonians who were so generous. Right. In their, they gave out of their pro, uh, poverty, it says. Uh, what can we learn from the practice of tithing? The principles of obedience and sacrifice. Okay, and that good. was the third the follow-up question. question yeah. you know, what, what, what do we learn? So I think I, I would agree with Kent right down the line there. <clears throat> Certainly, we all, I think all understand that tithing, you know, even non-religious people, I think, people who don't study their Bibles at all, if you said, what is a tithe? I think most of them would quickly respond, it's 10% of what you make. Yes. Lots of religious groups teach that as a as an obligation upon their members. And the New Testament nowhere places that obligation on Christians. So we couldn't say, we, we don't go to the Old Testament for our law. Uh, if we did, we'd, we'd have to do a lot of things that we're not currently doing. Right. But, um, and so we couldn't, we couldn't bind the tithe any more than we could bind animal sacrifices or uh, prohibitions on certain kinds of foods or anything else. It's not, it's not bound. But I like the prince, I like the concept that Kent had in his uh, answer, and I remember an old preacher who was asked the question: Do we have to tithe? Do we have to give ten percent, or is that is that bound upon us uh, in the New Testament system? And the preacher said, "Oh no, 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 no! Ten percent is not bound at all. You can give a whole lot more." Yeah. Uh, and and that's the way we need to look at it: is that we're not we're not tied to that, we're not restricted to that, but. But in generosity, when we have prospered abundantly, there ought to be times. I think, I don't think that that that, that giving more than ten percent should be an outrageous thought to Christians. But I, I imagine to lots of Christians it would seem outrageous to give as much as ten percent. When in reality, probably lots of times we can give more than that. And in fact, in under the Old Testament dispensation, they weren't limited to ten percent either. In Luke 21, Jesus is setting, uh, looking at people giving their gifts to the treasury. He saw a certain widow casting in uh, through their two mites. And he said, of a truth, I say unto you, this widow 
hath cast in more than they all, for these have of their abundance cast into the offering of God, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living she had. So, so she here's had a really poor person, and yet she didn't limit it to 10%. She gave 100%. Yeah. So, uh, again, uh, generosity would be the rule. And I think Kid is also right when he says what we learn when studying the Old Testament practice of tithing is we learn that they were expected to obey that rule and they were expected to give sacrificially, that, that sometimes that would require sacrifice. It certainly required sacrifice if you gave your first fruits, if you gave your very firstborn animals the prized, the prized of your flock, that that would that was teaching them a principle of sacrifice. We need to learn that principle of sacrifice. And no doubt it had to teach them about faith and trust in God as well. I'm, God told me to do this. It may not make financial sense to me. It may not necessarily make be comfortable for me. But God told me to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust him that he will provide. I think that also it... Um, and, and I, I have to be careful how I say this because I don't want to be binding something that's not bound to the test. But I do think it establishes a baseline for, for our considerations. If, if under the Old Testament system they were expected to give 10%, and when we think about the fact that we live under a better dispensation with, with a better covenant, better promises, all better blessings through our Lord Jesus Christ, it seems odd to imagine that we could think that that's an outrageous amount to give uh, and so i'm not i'm not trying to bind 10% but i i if if you'll allow my explanation what i'm saying is it provides sort of a useful baseline for consideration it's not at all unreasonable yeah. in other words yeah it's not something that's beyond the pale to think oh i could give that much yeah exactly right so, uh, again, tithing. You know, lots of religious people, lots of denominational religious people bind tithing. If you listen to people like uh, Dave Ramsey on the radio, financial advisor, he's, he says you should be tithing. I mean, he's, he's bought into that denominational kind of doctrine. It's not bound. We can't bind it. We wouldn't try to bind it, but I, I am saying there's something to learn by what God expected of Old Testament, his people in the Old Testament times, that can factor into our thinking when we give as we have been prospered. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Joan Tanya in the chat room says, "What defines a tithe?" And also, she also asks, "What defines an offering?" Well, the the tithe was just that; it was ten percent of what they gained. A, a lot of times, their offerings the offerings were something different. They were that. free will offerings. Uh, yeah, they were even prescribed. Yeah. yeah. There were, so there, that's a whole study, another study. So we might do that sometime on the virtual Bible study. Just recently here at College View, we had a, a lesson about the Old Testament sacrifices and what they stood for. That might be an interesting study for the virtual Bible study. Uh, but the, the offerings and tithes weren't necessarily the same. I, I suppose tithes could be uh, a subset of offerings, a kind of offering. Offerings were broader, uh, but tithes were specifically. To, so I, I, I harvested this field. And I got 100 bushels of grain. I'm to give 10 of those to the Lord. That was the tithe. That's right. what they did. All right. 877 uh, You want to go? We probably need to squeeze in one more. Yeah, let's get one more question here. Uh, we said, should Christians determine the amount of their giving based upon their gross pay or upon their net pay? Okay. This is a question I've heard through the years. So, Okay, I work for this company, and I get my paycheck on Friday. And 
and it says that I made $250 this week. That's what it says up there on that line. But this check that I brought home is like $180. Right. Because You they, need to have some more kids. <laughs> they've taken out taxes okay, and right. Social Security right. and health insurance. Mm-hmm. Boom, 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 boom. And now out of that $250 check, I get 180 bucks. Right. Should should I when I'm thinking about what I give, should I figure it on the two fifty or the one eighty? That's what we mean by gross and net. So you may be area of judgment here. Yeah, I think so. But I want you. Uh, my answer to that question is going to be this: that even though in my paycheck those things that they took out, I, I am benefited by those things they took out. They probably took out something for health insurance there. Health insurance? That certainly is something that's of benefit to me. They took out something for Social Security, which will be to provide for me when I'm old. They took out things that they use to pave the roads that I drive on. Uh, They took out things to operate the stoplight over here at the intersection. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm benefited by that. They took out things to... uh, provide for our national defense. I'm benefited by that. I'm benefited by the fact that I don't have to worry about somebody coming. we got police officers who protect our peace. I don't have to worry about someone coming and doing me violent harm. I'm benefited. And so I, I think we, we, we need to realize that even though we, we, we very often begrudge those things those that they take out of our checks before we get them in hand, we need to realize that there is benefit to those things, uh, e- even though we do begrudge them. To the an- question, Ken answers, in consideration of the principles of generosity, sacrifice, and ability as set forth in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, as well as 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7, Christians, out of a heart of generosity and love for truth, should do their very best to give from their gross income. In so doing, we will be giving from our abundance and not from our surplus. Well, thank you. I, that, I would Ken. agree with that. Yeah. And uh, Clay has said in his email, he said, I, uh, I think the whole discussion of gross and net is a moot point because uh, the scriptures don't speak of a Christian's giving necessarily being tied to their income, but rather as we've been prospered. Uh, I would have, I would wonder what's the difference between income and pro- income. Now we are prospered in ways other than income, but certainly income is a part of prosperity, a big part of prosperity, I would think. Okay, uh, so he says this that doesn't necessarily mean how one is how much one is paid. There have been times in my life when I've been, had a good paycheck, but demands of excessive medical bills hampered any other outflows, including giving. There wasn't much prospering going on. We went a long time giving very little to nothing to the church. During this time, the Lord's financial blessings went toward keeping the roof over our heads and bill collectors at bay. The uh, takeaway is giving as you can. There are seasons of prosperity when we can and should give liberally and seasons of poorness that curtail giving. But to base it on a paycheck, gross uh, and versus net misses uh, the big picture. I disagree with that. I, I do agree with what Clay has said about, you know, there's sometimes when maybe they're just not a... a uh, not anything to give or very little to give, and other times when there's a lot to give. <clears throat> but I would say that in the, general, that our paycheck is the principal way that we measure our prosperity. I mean, there there are times of difficulty when when that may not be we may not be able to factor that way. But as in general, if I'm if I'm measuring my prosperity, one of the real handles I get on it is my paycheck. And so I would definitely factor that in. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So what? Well, yeah. Maybe. What if 
what if the uh, roof blew off the house this week and the paycheck came in and it was a wash? Maybe you didn't prosper that week. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. I think it's possible. Right. But I don't yeah. think it's typical. Not typical. <laughs> not typical. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we've got two more important questions. How often should you? You say you get the biweekly paycheck. Kyle, is your paycheck biweekly? It is. it is. Kyle's one of those every other week. Bi-weekly. Weekers. Yeah, me too. Do we pay every week or do we pay every other week? Uh, or a Mine's once a month. Oh, boy. <laughs> Tough living. Yeah. All right. So what about that? And then um, is it what should we still be giving today even though there's not a need in Jerusalem? All right. Going to get that. Don't go anywhere. We're back right for this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. This is Monty Overton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We appreciate your interest in the Bible. It is, after all, God's message to us. We thought you might be encouraged by a poem written by A.Z. Conrad entitled, The Bible Stands. It goes like this. Century follows century, there it stands. Empires rise and fall and are forgotten, there it stands. Dynasty succeeds dynasty, there it stands. Kings are crowned and uncrowned. There it stands. Emperors decree its extermination. There it stands. Atheists rail against it. There it stands. Agnostics smile cynically. There it stands. Profane, prayerless punsters caricature it. There it stands. Unbelief abandons it. There it stands. Higher critics deny its claimed inspiration. There it stands. The flames are kindled against it. There it stands. The tooth of time gnaws but makes no dent in it. There it stands. Infidels predict its abandonment. There it stands. Modernism tries to explain it away. There it stands. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent study shows that men are somewhat more likely to cheat than women. According to us in the Journal of Marital and Family Therapy, 22% of men say that they've cheated on their spouse at least once during their marriage, and 14% of wives admit to straying. The saying, once a cheater, always a cheater, appears to be founded in fact. People who've cheated before are 350% more likely to cheat again than those who haven't. That information is via trustify.info. The Word of God says in Hebrews 13, verse 4, Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study. And we're back on the program tonight. In the chat room, Nicole asks, Is it wrong to claim my offering on my taxes? I sure hope not, Nicole, because, well... I don't think so. I, I did mean, it. This is just something that the government allows, a deduction for chari- what they identify as charitable donations. And so... Uh, that's the law of the land. To take advantage of that just means that you have more that you could give. Right. Uh, and, and so that makes your, that makes it easier to give and do other things that need to be done. But it is certainly legal by the law of the land. Um, would, would you take a, is, is it right to take a deduction for your children? In other words, you, so you get so much to deduct from your income for every child. Is that, is that somehow... Uh, represent a, a, a greediness uh, that you took a deduction because you had children? No. It's just what the way the, the law is written. We, t- we can have an advantage from it. That makes it possible for us to give even more to the Lord. Now, if you're giving because you can get a tax write-off, you got you got you, There's you, a couple you need, things wrong with you that. You need some financial. <laughs> That's <capital>. right. You <laughs> need to learn about math, <laughs> yeah. but you also have the wrong motives. Yeah. Uh, so, exactly, okay. right. Right. You're not you're not getting ahead by uh, by giving. <laughs> no. uh, uh, no. So yeah, but that's a, yeah. I, I appreciate 
uh, Nicole's sincere question. Yes, thank you. And, I do, and I've heard others who've asked that same question. And I think it's absolutely fine. It's just the law of the land. It's the way it's written. We can, we can you know, Paul, just as a, a biblical principle, Paul uh, used the civil law to his advantage when he appealed his case to Caesar. Right. He didn't have to do that, but the law made it such that he could, and he used that to his advantage. That's basically what we're doing here. Yeah, okay. You're just not paying taxes on the money that you've given, but yeah. you're, you're, it's not you know, it's not interfering with any of the instructions God's given. Exactly. All right, thanks, Nicole. Uh, real quickly, now we're going to have to go quick now. We're just almost out of time. If a person gives uh, is paid only once per month or every two weeks, should they uh, give only on those weeks when they receive pay, or should they give some each week? Okay. Uh, Kent addresses that, and he does a little word study on that. Hey, thanks, Kent. Uh, Kent says, an analysis of 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 informs us that a literal translation of the passage, kata mian sabatu, means every first day of the week. An examination of New Testament passages of parallel construction also indicates such. The term kata is used in other passages. We note, for example, Acts 14, 23, that elders were ordained in every church. That's the same word. The case being that the term is distributive and its usage indicates that according to 1 Corinthians 16, 2, the contribution is to be made every first day of the week. So Kent's taking a position, interesting, that, that he thinks that the word, the wording would indicate lay by in store every first day of the week. Something to do all the time, every first day of the week, which is interesting. Uh, there may be some practical advantage to that too i was telling you I, I get paid once a month but i try to i try to give proportionately each first day of the week it helps me it helps it helps keep me reminded and focused on giving the gratitude behind the giving the planning the purposing the so forth so i i think just from a practical standpoint there's there's an advantage to doing it that way but i don't know that i could bind that but but kent is in his word study says he thinks that you, if you look carefully at the way it's worded there that it's actually instructed that way it's interesting uh clay answers it this way um he says um it seems to me the purpose of Paul's instructions to the Galatians and Corinthians, especially the Corinthians, to give weekly was to facilitate our facilitate regular giving to meet a timetable, that is, when Paul would arrive to collect the funds, and a promised amount. Uh, cross-reference 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5, seems to imply the Christians had specified they would give a certain amount. Also, this is generally how I give. I am paid every two weeks. I found that if I give when I'm paid... I give much more regularly and more amount-wise. Additionally, for me, it reduces the temptation to spend that money on something else rather than wait and give it the next week. And so uh, Clay is, is in the he biweekly says, camp. He says he gets a benefit by doing it every okay. other week. Again, some judgment. Yeah. And, you know, not there's some practical things about this. Some, some, some things... We're prospered in, but it's it's impossible to quantify. Yeah. For instance, I don't know, Kyle. Do you guys get a bonus at the end of the year? Your work? Not exactly. Not no, exactly. No. A lot of people do. Some, Those bonuses Absolutely. are based on how and the you don't business is going to be till you get it. But they're based on how the business did yeah. over the last year. Well, you, certainly this week you were prospered in some of that, but what will it be? Yeah. And maybe it goes up this week, but it goes down the next. So. How do you do on that? If you're a farmer, you got a cow out in the field. That cow, or and you, or you don't know how much the 
corn is going to no, produce. That cow's getting bigger every week, and that's going to be more money on the back. But but that cow and, could die next week. And the corn is growing, but there might be a drought between now and harvest time. Yeah. So you know, sometimes it's hard to hard to calculate. But again, in regards to those who receive regular paychecks, you got to make some decision about giving according to a plan. That's what we talked about earlier. And we're going to be liberal, so we're. We're, we're going to we're going to err on the side of liberality in this yeah, equation. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. And then finally, we ask: uh, since the first instructions of First Corinthians sixteen one two were given to deal with the specific problem of needy saints in Jerusalem, is it right to use it as authority for our giving today? Uh, I'll go to Kent's answer. He said. It is certainly true that the contribution that is specified in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2 was for needy saints in Jerusalem. However, local New Testament churches have additional needs in the expenditure of church funds other than that of benevolence. There are needs to be met in evangelism and edification. There are no other New Testament passages that specify how Christians are to give into a local church treasury other than 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2. Therefore, by the principle of implication, we scripturally conclude that the local church treasury may be used for all New Testament authorized works in the expenditure of funds. I am right with Kent on that. In other words, certainly that was a they were giving to a benevolent need in 1 Corinthians 16. That's an authorized work of the church. And so here in 1 Corinthians 16, we see how a local church was to to fund an authorized activity of the church. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the only information we have about that. But we know that a church is authorized to evangelize. For instance, the church of Philippi regularly supported Paul in his preaching work. How did they get that money to send to Paul? Well, the only thing we can conclude is they did it the same way by a first day of the week contribution of the saints. And so 1 Corinthians 16, we agree, specified need, but it sets forth a pattern by which the church obtains its funds to do its authorized work. The only work. one that we have. And it's the only pattern that we have. Therefore, again, as Kent suggested, by implication, we conclude that's how the church funds all. And there's always a need. There's an ongoing need in evangelism and edification. In fact, the needs of evangelism and edification typically are far greater than the needs of benevolence uh, that the local church might engage in. This is how that is. That's how we come by funds to do authorized work. All right, Kyle. We have not gotten any comments from you tonight. Any final comments on the topic think, of giving? Uh, in some ways, which we've actually talked about this before. I think it's uh, like if you do miss a week, I think it's good. To, if you do give every week and you miss a week, I think it's good to give what you would have given last week. Oh, wait, I, wait, I was principle. on vacation last week. You mean when I come back, I got to make it up? I think it's a good day. I think so, too. I think so, too. I was prospered that week that I was not here. And the local church depends. That's a good point because the local church depends upon the regular generous contributions of its members. And so if I'm away, I think you're right. That's the thing to do is to make that up when I come back or or give it in advance even. All right. Thank you, Kyle, for being here tonight and getting us on the air. Dad? Good discussion. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you uh, for it. And thank you for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. And, hey, when it comes around Sunday, be a little generous in your giving. How about that? Uh, Yeah, exactly. All right. But, uh, yeah, certainly. And hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.